Well, I want to talk with you this morning from one of the most familiar of all scriptures, uh, the 23rd Psalm. Building a house can be a frustrating and difficult experience under the best of circumstances. And uh, about a year and a half ago, we began renovating an old house in the Greenville area so we could live there in retirement. And uh, because of the demand for subcontractors, because only about 50% of the number of subcontractors that were uh, active in 2008 are active now, uh, the demand for them is amazing. And so... Nothing was getting done on time. What was getting done was really well done, but nothing was getting done on time. And um, uh, control and stuff like that is probably more important to me than it ought to be. And one night I found myself at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking sort of like this. This is never going to get done. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do. What if we don't get moved in by such and such a time? Anyway, 3 o'clock in the morning is not a great time for rational thought, and it was not for me. Our contractor was excellent. We loved what he did. It didn't get finished that late. But most of the things that trouble me at 3 o'clock in the morning are not rational, but they're powerful. And they get a hold of your heart, and they worry the daylights out of you. And it's surprising the number of things for a believer who honestly believes that God is in control of the world and loves him and has charge of his life, it's amazing how many things a 12-year-old who's about to become a dreaded teenager, a teenager who is about to go off to college and be out of your control, if you ever had it anyway, uh, a job market that is frightening to you, a change in the business world that is affecting your income and you don't know how to get out ahead of the curve. There are all kinds of things that can worry you. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, they seem insurmountable. And that night, I did something that I have done hundreds of times. I lay in the dark, and I said in the silence of my own heart and mind, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, and thy, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, and the next thing I knew, it was 7 o'clock in the morning, and it was time to get up. Having, through his word, come into the presence of God, took me out of the imaginary and real troubles that were keeping me awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I want to invite you to do that with me for just a moment here at the beginning of this message. I'd like for us to start by your in just thinking to yourself, what is the thing right now that bothers me the most? when I am bothered? Is it work? Is it money? Is it health? Is it family? Is it the culture of our world and the seeming craziness of it? What is it 
that gets a hold of your heart and makes things darker than they ought to be. Have you got it? Let's say the 23rd Psalm together. I've put it on the screen because uh, I know it in the King James, but I'm going to be speaking from the New American Standard. So would you say this together with me, please? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the power of this psalm? There are a lot of great psalms. Why is this one so powerful? I think this is the first set of verses I ever memorized. You could pray and do scripture when I came through public school and my third grade teacher who was a Baptist Sunday school teacher required us to learn the 100th Psalm, the 1st Psalm, the 23rd Psalm and I'm pretty sure the 23rd Psalm was the first passage of scripture I ever memorized. And all my life, even when I wasn't a believer, I have wondered about the power of these words. What is there in them that draws us to them and nourishes us. And the answer to that is part of what will help us live in the truth and the power of the 23rd Psalm. That's my desire, is to increase the speed with which you get to it and the trust you have in it. First, we need to understand the real power of this psalm is in the first five words. They are probably the least interesting words in the psalm. And yet they are the most important because the poetry of lying down in green pastures and a a, a table set before me and anointing my head with oil and uh, the valley of the shadow of death and all of those pictures, that's what gets our attention and holds it in the 23rd Psalm. But none of that matters if the first five words are not there. The Lord is my shepherd. It begins with a great but exclusive word, the. If it said, a Lord is my shepherd, we'd have to ask ourselves all the time, which one is that? Have I found him? Do I know it? We live in a world today that loves the idea that there is one ocean of salvation, but many rivers and that you can travel the river of Buddhism or general spirituality or Judaism or Islam or whatever, or Hinduism, Christianity, and all of the rivers lead to the same place, and everybody that's traveling on their river thinks their river is best, but they don't really know they all end up in the same ocean. And the reason our culture loves that idea so much is that we love options. We don't love exclusions. But this passage of Scripture says, you'll never find the power of the shepherd Lord 
if you don't understand, he is the Lord and not a Lord. That there is one ocean and one river, and that river is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can try a lot of different ones, but you always wind up feeling, I always say to somebody, well, if you think they're all true, what bothers you about picking one since one is as good as another? Have you ever been to a fine restaurant where they have a 20-page menu with fine print? Remember the first one I went to? It was a great restaurant in Tampa, Florida when I was in college called the Columbia Restaurant. And uh, the waiter handed me a menu that was about this high and about that thick. It had 20 pages in it with about 12 or 15 items on each page. And I opened it up, and I looked up at him and said, I don't want to read a 20-page menu. He said, you don't? I said, no, sir. You look like a man who would like to make me happy. Would you like to try? He said, I would. That's what I do here. I said, good. And I closed the menu and I said, make me happy. Bring me something I like. And he brought me one of the finest meals that I have ever had. There is freedom in choice. But there is also tyranny in it. And there are some things that you need to be solid about, and the word thee is one of them. Our God is the God, or he is no God. And so this psalm begins by saying, if you want genuine, confident, peaceful comfort in your life, it begins not with Lord, but with thee, the Lord. Another great word. I'm glad it doesn't say, the God is my shepherd. The Lord is, of course, God, an all-powerful being. But the concept of God is really not very comforting because it doesn't tell you anything about him except that he is powerful. It's like the word sovereign that people throw around today as if it were some grand explanation. Uh, all sovereign means is God can do whatever he wants. My great concern after finding out that he can is what does he intend to do? And that's why this doesn't say the God is my shepherd. It says the Lord because a Lord is a, a God has the capacity to create but is he involved with you? Is he interested in you? Is he working in some way? Don't know. But you cannot be a Lord without involvement with what you own. And so what this is saying is the shepherding that a believer experiences is dispensed by someone who has the power to take care of anything that's going on in his life, but better yet, he has the inclination to be directly involved with you and not just to give you principles for living or rules for life. It always bothers me a great deal when I hear people say, we have an owner's manual. This is not an owner's manual. This is an introduction to the owner. It is not my ability to follow instructions that gives me hope. It is the owner's ability to be my Lord and to work in my life and to control my life and to rule the universe. And so this says before we get down to lying down in green pastures and 
drinking from the quiet waters and eating at the full table, understand God is involved to create the table and the food on it. He is, uh, he is involved to create the, the, the path through the shadow of death to the other side. The Lord is actively working. The word Lord in the New Testament and the Old mean manager, owner, sustainer, all-powerful being. Nothing can stand against his will. So the Lord, the Lord is. Is, is I, I'm not going to get into this a lot because this is the kind of thing that makes people think I'm a pointy head, but I do need to say just a little bit about this. The word is is the B word, part of the B word in the English language. And every language has a, has a being idea. And what it says is we're interested in what God does, but we're also interested in what God is. The nature of of God is, among other things, the nature of a shepherd. So if you want to know what God is like, we don't need to engage in high-level thinking. We need to engage in common-sense looking. What does a shepherd do? How does a shepherd act? What are a shepherd's responsibilities? And that's not just God's job description that he's set for himself. That is God's nature. It doesn't surprise anyone when a dog barks or when a cat acts in an independent fashion. Why? That is their nature. Why then does it surprise us that we ought to act like and believe with every part of our being that God is a shepherd? Because he says, this doesn't say God acts like a shepherd or God behaves like a shepherd from time to time. It says God is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And he's not just a shepherd, which could mean he's doing a great job over in Europe somewhere. He is my shepherd. He doesn't belong to me. You know, I hear people say that when somebody says, I go to Steve Hogg's church, we shouldn't say that. It's the Lord's church. Come on. There are two ways we use the word my. One is the possessive. This is my Bible. It does belong to me. I paid for it. I paid to have it rebound. This is mine. But when we say Rock Hill is my hometown, nobody's dumb enough to believe you mean it belongs to me. The word also is a word of identification, isn't it? And that's what this is saying. When I think of what shepherds my life, the Lord is the shepherd with whom I identify. And he identifies with me. He knew me before the foundations of the earth. He drew me to himself. He loves me eternally. He will not let me go. He is my shepherd. It is amazing and I think part of the great power of this passage of Scripture is it is so personal. The Lord is not our shepherd. The Lord is not a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and your shepherd and your shepherd and your shepherd. Every one of us can say the Lord is my shepherd. And he is a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd knows his sheep. 
A shepherd feeds his sheep. He waters his sheep. He protects his sheep. He provides for them all along the way. He takes them where they need to go. He has better sense than they do. And he uses it not against them, but for them. God is my shepherd. Let me tell you something I learned about sheep in Wyoming several years ago. I had a a friend in our church that had a wonderful ranch out there, great trout fishing, and, and he said to me, you and your wife need to go out there every summer for a vacation, so we did. And we got to know the caretaker on his ranch who uh, went to the University of Wyoming on a full uh, rodeo scholarship. And he looks at, he was a, a bronco and a bull rider. And he looks like he was a tough guy. And uh, we were going fishing one day from southeastern Wyoming where he lived up to northwestern Wyoming all the way across the state. And everywhere we went, we went past pastures and they were full of flocks of sheep. And uh, in every flock of sheep was a llama. And I said to him, what's up with the llamas? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, every, every uh, pasture has got hundreds of sheep and three llamas. Can't the ranchers make up their mind? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, why don't they just go ahead and get some llamas? Why do they just want three? He said, oh, I see what you mean. He said, they're not raising llamas. He said, Let's just stop the truck and you watch. He said, now let me ask you something. What do you see a sheep's head doing? And I watched, and here's what I saw. A sheep's head was down, and he would nibble, and he would move over here, and his head would not come up. Then he would move over here, and his head would not come up, move over here. He said, now watch a llama. Here's what I saw. Llama's head is up, looking around like a periscope. It goes down, nibble, 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 pop, back up. Look around, nibble, 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 up. He said a llama is one of the greatest guard animals in the world. He said if a sheep or a coyote, I mean if a, if a coyote or a wolf has ever encountered one and they see one, they will run like crazy because he said a llama isn't just protective, they're attack animals. And he said when they see a predator, they will do everything they can to run them down and kick them to death. And when they're through, they stomp so that every bone in their body is broken and they look like an animal that's been roadkill for a week. They've been run over by every truck and car on the highway. He said they are unbelievably vicious. I said, I bet the sheep like him. He said, oh, yes, the sheep feel very safe in the presence of a llama. Do you feel very safe in the presence of the Lord? You should. He goes on to say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means not that I don't want breakfast or I don't want a job. It means I will not be driven by want, which is what I was doing at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was driven by the desire for control. And uh, we get driven by these desires for something that we don't have and may not be able to get. Now the psalmist says part of the solution to the need for peace in life is knowing, 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 and remembering that the Lord is my shepherd and watching want be modified and moderated. Now, from verses 2 through 6, 
he gives us a lot of examples of the things the Lord does as, as our shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me. He doesn't just lead me to it and let me lie down if I want to. He arranges it so that I do wind up lying down. And a green pasture is a wonderful place. Have you ever taken a nap in one? I was fishing with a friend of mine uh, on a river down near the coast in Florida, and uh, it had been unbelievably cold that morning. We weren't expecting it. We weren't dressed for it. And uh, when about 10 o'clock in the morning, we pulled the boat up on the bank of the river and tied it off and went up and found a field where the farmer was growing alfalfa. And uh, we lay down in this grass. And I will never forget the feeling. The grass shielded us from the wind. The sun was bright. It was shining on us. You could smell the grass. The grass felt that day almost like a mattress, and I have never enjoyed grass that much in my life. And this passage of Scripture says, in a desert land where grass is not everywhere, the Lord leads us, even in the desert, to a place where grass is not just necessary food, but a luxury to be enjoyed. Isn't it wonderful that this says God is not a minimalist? He doesn't want us to get by on just as little as we possibly can, but he wants us to find a place where there is food and water and to enjoy it. He leads me to the still waters. He leads me to the places where the water is clear and cool and easily accessible. I don't have to navigate a riverbank that may throw me in. I just walk right up to this still water, this pond of water, and I put my face in it and I drink. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores. Isn't that wonderful? When were you saved? Have you been on God's path every minute since? Of course not. We all get off the path, sometimes in embarrassing, hurtful ways, sometimes in just annoying, stupid ways. But lying awake at 3 o'clock in the morning worrying about the contracting business, that's not God's path. And I assure you, I have strayed from the path many times. The psalmist says, as the Lord, he restores my soul and he guides me into the paths of righteousness. He takes my soul that has been shaken or shamed and he puts it right and puts me back in the presence of God. Isn't it interesting the, the, uh, the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Galatians 6 that talked about restoring one in a spirit of gentleness. That's exactly what God does, isn't it? He is a restorer of souls. When we get astray, he brings us back. He confronts us, he corrects us, he forgives us, he restores us. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He doesn't just do this for us. He does it for his own dependability. He wants the world to know that he is a shepherd that you can count on, always has been, always will be, and it isn't theoretical, it's real. 
And I'm comforted by the fact that he does it for his own sake because I have days when I look in the mirror and think, if I were God, I don't know that I'd do anything for me today. And God says, oh, don't you worry. I will do things for you because I love you regardless of what you've been. But I'm not just doing this for you. I'm glad that it also counts for him. He wants his name to be revered, and so he acts toward us with love that people want. Verse 4, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even when I'm walking in a place where the darkness of death hangs over me and is a worrisome thing, God is present with me. And God is at work in me and for me. And... Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod was a rod of discipline used to strike the sheep. The staff was a rod of comfort and rescue that God used as a crook to pull the sheep out of trouble. And the rod could also be used against the enemy of the sheep. And so no matter what a sheep had to walk through, God was there as the shepherd to help the sheep. I met a woman when I was a chaplain's intern one summer during seminary. Um, there were two of us, three of us in this program, and two of them were real liberals. I'm not sure they believed much anything in the Bible. And so a woman called down from the cancer ward and said, could you have a chaplain come up and read the Bible to me? And what was said to me was, Lincoln, you actually believe all that stuff. Why don't you go up and read it to her? I said, no, I'd love to. So I took my Bible and I went up to the cancer ward and I walked into a room and I will never forget what I saw. There was a woman lying in bed who had on a cancer turban. She had lost all her hair. She was pale because of the chemotherapy. She was very sick, but she was one of the handsomest women I have ever seen. She was tall. She had long fingers. Uh, she had a look of confidence on her face. And I pulled up a chair and sat down by the bed and said, how are you? She said, I'm, I'm all right. I said, I'm glad to hear that. I understand you want me to read the Bible to you. She said, I do. I said, what would you like to hear? She said, I'd like for you to read Psalm 103. I said, okay. And I began reading, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. I still get choked up about it. I looked up at her and there was a tear running down her face. I said, ma'am, are you sure this is what you want me to read? She said, oh, yes, oh, yes. She said, I want to be reminded that one way or another I'll be healed. I will either be healed in this world or I will be healed in the world to come. But one way or another, death will not have the final word. I said, what church do you go to? She was an Episcopal layperson. I wish I had asked her name and written it down in my Bible. I can see her as if I had just left the room. And I thought to myself, Lord Jesus, would you give me the ability to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with that confidence in my shepherd. Thou preparest a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup runneth over. It's a picture of God taking me out of the battle where my last thought is food and putting me at a table, the shepherd, and saying to me, there's time enough for the battle. Let's have a dinner. Let's have a banquet. And everything that I could ever imagine is brought to the table. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. When I had surgery, my father came into the room. He was a doctor, and he said, Son, you're about to have surgery, and uh, the Lord bless you. And he, put, he made the sign of the cross on my head. I saw my father do very few uh, spiritual things. But I'll never forget the moment of his touch because he was saying to me, I can't come back and help, but I love you, and I bless you. And the Lord touches our heads, the anointing, the touch of God. My cup runneth over. God pours and just keeps pouring, not because he's wasteful, but because he is generous. And he doesn't just give us enough to get by or to wash the food down, but he gives us more than we could ever imagine. And when that's gone, there's more. My cup runneth over. Why do we act like God doles things out like a cheap penny giver? God blesses his people with great goodness. And the psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I won't have to run looking for it. When I turn around, it's there. It was there all along. The goodness of God following me, caring for me. He came to me and brought me to himself. Yes, I believed that was the saving response. But the salvation that saves me is a gift that comes from a God who comes and finds me. I would never have the sense to come and find him. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell. I will evermore live in the presence of God. Helmut Thielicke, the great German Lutheran pastor, concluded his sermon on the prodigal son with these words. The secret of this parable is that for all of us there is a homecoming because for all of us there is a home. And indeed there is. The psalmist knew that. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think the great power of this psalm, apart from the first five words, is threefold. It is a picture to be enjoyed. This is not about the doctrine of grass or pastures or lakes. This is a picture of God giving us the necessities and say, don't just view this as water and food. I want you to see this as a gift to be enjoyed. I enjoy you. I want you to enjoy me. Second, this is a promise to trust. It's a set of promises. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a promise. I shall not want. That's a promise. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. A promise. He leads me to the still waters. A promise. He walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. A promise. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are promises to trust. And when I am awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, 
There's no promise in here about contractors or homes or schedules, but there is a promise about the fact that whatever it is that worries you, God's got it. He's bigger than it is, more powerful than it is, and more loving toward you than you could ever be toward yourself. If God had said to me at 3 o'clock in the morning, here is all the power in the universe over contractors. Enjoy it. I would have been no better off. I still needed the Lord. And it is a presence to feel. I'm glad that God is not just thought. Thought is a cold thing. Feelings are warm, powerful. Problem with them is they don't they don't they're not good direction finders, but boy, they're powerful. And so this is a presence that God wants us to feel. When I was a pastor in Atlanta, I had a deacon who came to me one day, and he had one of those little pieces of slick paper with a sticker on it. And he said, I brought you something. I said, good. And he said, I want you to put this on your telephone. I said, okay. And I looked at it, and it said, Prayer Ministry, Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church. And I said, tell me about this. He said, oh, it's great. All you got to do is call this number. And the pastor of that church has a message for you. I said, he's waiting to answer the phone. He said, oh, no, 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 it's a recording. And I thought, well, how nifty is that? I've got a deep personal problem, and this guy's got a tape recorder. What idiot would call somebody like that with a deep personal problem? But the deacon was standing there, so I took the thing and stuck it on my phone. And one day I thought about taking it off, and I thought, no, he may look to see if it's still there, and it needs to be. It won't hurt anything to leave it on there. Well, about a month after that occurred, um, I uh, was in my office, and I was down in the dumps and feeling frightened about something. And I looked down at the phone, and there was that stupid sticker. And I thought to myself, what's it going to hurt for me to call? So I called the number, and this is what I heard. Good morning. This is Pastor Brown of the Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. I wonder if you are struggling with something. I was. He said, would you please sit down and listen? I did. He said, let me read a scripture Underneath you are the everlasting arms. Would you close your eyes and listen again? And he said it again. He said, imagine that the chair is the arms of God and the hands of God and that he is holding you. Now hear another passage. I am a very present help in trouble. Is there any exception to that? He said, the arms of God are holding you. Do not forget it. And I sat in my chair and wept. I thought, God, this problem that I've got will go away one way or another, but you will not, and you have got me. And I felt the presence of God like I felt the strength of that chair. I want you to feel that at 3 o'clock in the morning in a hospital waiting room on the way to the emergency room, I want you to know the Lord is my shepherd and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which doesn't mean when I die. 
It means from the moment you find the Lord Jesus Christ until eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are our shepherd and our Lord. Thank you that you guide and lead and restore. Thank you for the blessings of your care for us and for the fullness we see in the cross. In the name of Jesus.